I'd like to read uh, from the book of Acts, chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading uh, from verses 3 through verse 11. Acts 1, 3 to 11. To these also he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for that which the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. This uh, past Thursday was Ascension Day. And Ascension Day is a day in the church calendar that is set aside for the celebration of this event, the ascension of Jesus into heaven. We've been studying in the book of John uh, for some time now, the Upper Room Discourse. This event is one of the themes of that sermon Jesus was giving. He was preparing the disciples for this day of ascension. And so uh, we read in this scripture, he appeared to them lots of different times, many proofs, it says, uh, to show himself alive, again, having been crucified, to demonstrate the resurrection. And we, I think, read about this last Sunday in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He appeared to many. He appeared to Peter, to John, to the apostles, to 500 other people that we know of, and then finally to Paul, after the ascension, actually. But uh, he appeared demonstrating the reality of the resurrection. Well, today we're looking in the book of John at the first, okay, kind of the first, of those appearances. We read last week about some appear, an appearance he made to Mary 
And she went and said, I've seen the Lord. And, uh, you know, it's not clear what they made of that. Uh, so the what we're going to read about today in the book of John is Jesus appearing to the apostles in the upper room the night of the resurrection. So let's just look at that. It's in John chapter 20. And we're going to look at verse 19. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, uh, another translation of this is locked, for fear of the Jews. So there was a reason they had the door locked. And that indicates to me that normally the door would not be locked. But this night it was locked. And the reason is they were afraid. Anyway, so they're there. Doors locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Uh, there's some things to figure out in that. So Jesus, the disciples are there, and they're just there. They're hiding. They're hiding. They are afraid. They have good reason to be afraid. Their leader was just crucified. Now, they've heard and seen and even believed that he is risen, but they haven't seen him yet. Mary has seen him, Mary Magdalene, and she's told them that she's seen them. You've heard the expression, seeing is believing. So they're there. They're still, I think, the only way to read this is they're in some kind of state of shock. They really don't know what to think or do. So they're there behind the locked door, and Jesus came, it says. He came and stood in their midst. Now... <clears throat> Many people get very distracted by the question, how do you get in the room? I almost didn't mention this because I don't want us to get distracted by that. How do you get in the room? You know, if it was really important how he got in the room, 
it would be in the text. The simple answer to the question is, miraculously, the door's locked, he's, now he's there. Okay, that's all we got to figure out. Now, I've heard a lot of youth pastors especially, maybe me when I was a youth pastor, make all kinds of crazy claims based on this text about what, it, what we will be like when we're risen from the dead, thinking, well, we'll be able to like walk through walls and won't that be cool? There's nothing in this text that says that. There's nothing in this text that denies that. There's nothing in this text about that. It's just the fact that Jesus appeared before them in the room. And he is in the flesh, risen from the dead. Now, if you imagine yourself to be one of these people, and you're standing around... Who knows what you're talking about? How you're going to avoid arrest or whatever. And suddenly Jesus is standing there in front of you. That's going to be a surprise. And Jesus says, peace to you. (laughs) So he appears and he says, peace to you. Now, Jesus has been preaching this peace to you thing since chapter 13, remember? When they were getting all upset about him announcing his departure, and he's saying, take it easy, guys, peace. I will leave you my peace. We're going to look at that again a little later. And he says, peace to you. It's interesting, this became... Uh, something like the standard greeting in the church. In fact, even today, there are many churches where there's a moment in which we pause in the service and we greet one another. We sometimes do this. We greet one another, and in many churches, the standard greeting is, peace be with you. And then whoever you say that to returns and says, also, and also with you. This is sometimes in, done in the communion service when the elements are passed from person to person. One person says, peace be, when they hand the elements of the communion to the next person, they say, peace be with you. And the person receiving them says, and also with you. And then they pass them and say, peace be with you. And this has become sort of a standard greeting in the church. Also, you would notice, if you looked, that every one of Paul's letters has a greeting that includes peace. Typically, grace and peace to you. Well, this made me think, grace and peace. This peace, by the way, is pas, not tranquila. Right? Pas, peace, not tranquility. Those are not the same. 
I might use the word peace to mean tranquility, like I'm at peace with my decision. And when I say I'm at peace with my decision, I don't mean I used to have a conflict with my decision and now I don't. Now my decision and me have come to terms and we've been reconciled together. That's not what I mean. I just mean I'm settled. I'm tranquil. Tranquila. So when Jesus says peace, he's talking about something much bigger. And in fact, in ancient Israel, the standard greeting was shalom. Shalom is the word for peace. And when I say shalom to someone, I am not saying easy or I hope you have everything calm. Now, shalom is a little bit more about being right than being calm. Shalom is related to the word for oneness. It's related to the idea of integrity, of uh, wholeness. And so a person experiencing shalom is a whole person. So what's, what's the point? The point is when Jesus says peace, it's the satisfaction or the application of tetelestai. It is finished. What? Our peace with God is accomplished. And when Jesus, the first thing Jesus says when he shows up in front of his followers is peace is yours. Peace is yours. This is the peace of wholeness. And it's not just a greeting. It's the assurance of peace with God from the risen Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And so almost to demonstrate this fact, he, the text mentions here, he showed them both his hands and his side. This reminded me of that passage in Revelation where John has the vision, he observes the lamb standing as if slain. What a curious expression that is. How does the lamb of God stand slain? How does, how does he observe the lamb of God slain? How, this, I think the same way they did here. The Lamb of God is risen, having been slain, and he shows the wounds of his sacrifice to demonstrate who he is 
and where he has come from, he has come from the dead, and he is alive. He is alive in the body that was put to death with the prince of his crucifixion. And so he shows them his hand and his side. It's really me, he's saying, the sacrificial lamb of God. Peace be with you. There's only one way they receive this peace, and that is from the lamb slain, risen. Peace to you. And then you have this sentence, the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. (laughs) You could translate this like this, I think, more literally. Seeing the Lord, then, the disciples rejoiced. Seeing the Lord, then, the disciples rejoiced. So there, I, I just want us to try to imagine we're in this room, okay? We're with our guys and we're, we don't know what to do. We're, you know, we're having, you're hearing these reports like he's, I saw him, he's alive. And Peter and John have been to the tomb and believed we read last week. And so there, and then there he is. And he says, take a look, guys. It's me the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's me, really me. You can touch it. It's the body that died, now risen. And immediately seeing the Lord then, they rejoiced. There was one translation I read. It said they were glad. And I thought, that is not the right way to translate that. They were glad to see the Lord. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. No. They were like jumping around. This is the word rejoice, by the way. The word rejoice, it's the same as you find in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And it's based on a descriptive word for what little lambs do. Now, you don't, we don't see a lot of little lambs around here. We see a lot of little goats, and they do the same thing. They have uncontainable energy. They bounce. They don't walk. They bounce. They rejoice. It's... This word rejoice is is something that involves the whole being of a person. It's It's an emotional reaction. It's the same as what you do when your team scores in a game. You can't, you don't say, oh, I certainly am glad that they scored. You are on your feet. You can't stop yourself. They rejoiced seeing the Lord. Seeing the Lord. They rejoiced. I also want to notice, Jesus has taught, given a little teaching here. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. He's, he's, uh, he's teaching something there. 
He's making a theological point. That's not all there is to it, but it is that. But their response is not a theological response. It's personal. It's personal. It's a fellowshipping response. It's, I think, like the feeling I have seeing you all here in person this morning. Looking at you in person this morning instead of through the lens, though I'm happy to be seen by all of you in the lens. Uh, I have a personal response. It's, it's not an intellectual response. It certainly will involve my mind, but it is not contained there. It's a, the whole person responding. When they see the Lord, they rejoice. They rejoice. Now, Jesus responds to that. <laughs> and the, the word here is so. In other words, they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So, in other words, in response to their rejoicing, Jesus says again, peace to you. In other words, I think he doesn't want the point to be lost in the rejoicing. Well, this is a whole person thing, right? We're, we rejoice, and we also need to get the point. The point, the Son of God is risen, the Lamb of God slain for our sin has reconciled us, has made peace between us and God, and consequently, between us. Says it to them again, peace be with you. And then he says this, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. There's a commission. Now, I wanted to look at this uh, text, a couple of texts where Jesus had this message of peace to you uh, in John 16, verse 33. These things, he says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. <clears throat> these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. And he's not talking about tranquila, he's talking about paz. Peace between you and the living, righteous, holy God, and consequently between you and your neighbor. Peace. Wholeness in relationship. Uh, also in chapter 14, now both of these are in the context of the upper room discourse in chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. 
And when Jesus came into the room, what was the state of mind of the disciples? Fearful. And so he addresses their fear with real peace. He's not just saying, calm down, guys, don't worry. Like we might do. We try to comfort someone and keep them calm. What he's leaving is peace, not like the world leaves peace, but the real peace that is achieved by the sacrifice of the cross and the Lord's resurrection from the dead. That peace he leaves with us. His peace reconciled to real fellowship with the living God. And then he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So the apostles are to carry on the remaining work of Christ. The remaining work of redemption. Well, what is that? This is, a, this is the great commission of the book of John. As I was sent, I'm sending you. And to the apostles, they have the remaining work of the redemption, which is simply the announcement of the word of God. In the book of John, Jesus is sent the logos of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. Everything was made through him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Hmm. And so the apostles, the disciples of Jesus, are given the mission here to continue to exhibit the word of God personified in Jesus. The announcement and exhibition of the word of God, the message of tetelestai and peace to you, Irene. Irene, who mean, sorry. It's going to say that really well, but that's Greek, peace to you. It is finished. Peace to you. The revelation of God in the Lord Jesus Christ as he was sent, they are sent to announce the word of God that God is reconciling sinners to himself by the sacrifice of Jesus. To be the voice of the good shepherd. As I was sent, I'm sending you, Jesus says. And then the most amazing thing happens. In this translation, it says, having said this, he breathed on them. Now, there's something you're not supposed to do nowadays. He breathed on them. Well, you know, in the text itself, it just says he breathed. 
we sort of put the on them in there because it's hard to make sense out of just he breathed and said. There was something like, <sighs> receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's got to mean something because it's in here. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't remind you of the book of Genesis, when God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and breathed on him so that he became alive, then you just forgot about what Genesis 1 said. I, I regard this as something like the delivery of the peace in the breath of the living God, the person of the Holy Spirit. But this causes a problem. And the problem is that passage we just read in the book of Acts when Jesus says, now wait here, don't go anywhere, stay here in Jerusalem until the, you receive the Holy Spirit. And when he comes upon you, and this is, you know, 40 days after this. When he comes upon you, you'll, have, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. Here he's saying, I'm sending you. You'll be my witnesses. Receive the Holy Spirit. And so then we have this sort of technical question about, well, did they, did they receive the Holy Spirit here in the upper room on the night of the resurrection or on the day of Pentecost sometime later. Pentecost, by the way, tells you how much later. 50 days. That's what Pentecost means. Penta. 50. So, what do we do with that? Well, I'm not sure we really need to technically sort this out, but I'll just give you my own personal viewpoint. I take this to be Jesus saying, receive the Holy Spirit, to be in anticipation of Pentecost. In other words, he's saying, when I return, he, he's already announced this right in the upper room discourse, right? He says, it's good for you if I leave, because if I don't leave, then I can't send the Spirit. So he's saying, I'm going to ascend and then the Spirit will come. And I think here he's simply saying, receive the Spirit. The Spirit is coming. It's an anticipatory command. And his, ex, his exhale, his breathing upon them, is an exhibition of the meaning of that uh, Spirit coming. Now, I, I read some commentaries, you know, this week, and there's at least four or five different ways people try to sort this out. But Jesus said earlier that he needed to return to the Father before sending the Spirit. That's in chapter 16. We read in chapter 1 of Acts that the outpouring of the Spirit will empower witness in the world. Oh, 
Now there is the point. That's the connection. The connection is I'm sending you to be the exhibition of the word of God in this world. And for that mission, you will need to receive the spirit. And so in Acts, he says, now wait here till the spirit comes. Now, earlier I read the, this text in chapter 14 where Jesus says, peace I leave with you. And what I want to do now is go back to that text. That's John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Don't let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. This is all part of that idea that it's good for the disciples if Jesus returns to the Father. Now, the part I left out before was the verse right before all that, where Jesus says this. This is John fourteen twenty six. But the Helper, the Paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you everything and bring to your remembrance everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. Oh, so this idea of peace to you and this idea of receive the Holy Spirit, these are not unrelated ideas. This is, Jesus isn't just giving a list. One goes with the other. How does Jesus give the disciples really once and for all this peace? It is in the outpouring of the Spirit who comes to indwell each of the believers and the fellowship of believers. And apart from that, we don't trust God in Christ. We trust God in Christ by the Spirit. There's no other way. And one of the interesting things you could observe about the disciples is here in chapter 20 of the book of John, Jesus has received the Spirit. Nothing much changes. You know, in chapter 21 of the book of John, which we're going to come to very shortly, in chapter 21 of the book of John, they don't really act sent. They got, Peter says, hey guys, I'm going fishing. And Jesus goes to where they went fishing, and he has this challenging conversation with the Apostle Peter. Well, that's not the same Peter who stands up on the day of Pentecost having received the Spirit and proclaims the death of Christ out loud in the face of these very same leaders he was afraid of on the night of the resurrection. That's not the same Peter who says to those very same leaders not too long after the day of Pentecost, he says to them, you tell me, should we obey you or God? 
You crucified him, but he is risen. That is a wholly revolutionized Peter. He has been transformed by the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ. And Jesus anticipates that in this commandment. Receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. And giving the Spirit in chapter 14, is this, the giving of the Spirit is associated with the giving of peace. And in Peter's experience, when the Spirit comes, Peter is genuinely full of the experience of his reconciliation with God in Christ. And as we read in Romans uh, 5, the love of Christ is poured out in his heart. And so you hear Peter or Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, the love of Christ compels me. I'm, I'm driven by this love that I have gotten from Jesus. And that's where he goes into the whole announcement of the reconciling work of the cross of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And so receiving the Spirit, having the peace, being reconciled, walking in fellowship with God, the apostles become the exhibition of the word of God in Christ in this world. The Spirit empowers and directs communication of the word of God through the body of Christ. You can see this also in uh, John, this connection to the Spirit and the mission in John chapter 3, where uh, Jesus is described as... Uh, the one who always obeys God, per, the Father, perfectly. He walks in perfect communion with, the, with God the Father, always saying and doing whatever God the Father says and does because he has given the Spirit without measure, even in the life of the man Jesus, the ministry of the Holy Spirit activates his mission in the world as it does to this day. He goes on and says another very interesting thing. If you forgive someone's sins, they're forgiven. If you retain them, they're retained. Now, I would say this. In the context of the book of John, I don't think we should read this as some kind of delegation of the power to forgive sins to the apostles. Especially in what we've just considered about the mission of, as I was sent, I'm sending you. You're to become the exhibition and proclamation of the very word of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Which is, by the way, the announcement of the forgiveness of sins. Because I'm reconciled to God, that can only be true if God 
forgives my sins. There's an, interest, it's a, there's an interesting feature to the word in the New Testament that's usually translated forgive. It means release. And here there's an interesting contrast between release and retain. Sins in this verse can be either released or retained. This reminds me of everything Jesus said to everyone in the whole book of John, where he says stuff like, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. There's a certain response to the announcement of the word of God. Or, it's absent. And Jesus says to those in which it's absent, you will die in your sin. You retain your sin. Because you don't believe in me. Believing in me leads to the release of your sin. You and your sin get a divorce. Did you know that in the New Testament discussion of divorce, in the 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the word for divorce is this exact word. Release. Same word. It's not even a different form of the word. It's the same word. How do you get divorced? You release your spouse, or you are released from the obligation of your marital covenant. That's how you get a divorce. And what Jesus accomplishes in the work of his cross, according to the book of Hebrews, is a cleansing of your very conscience. In other words, you are granted a divorce from your sins. They are released from you. And so John says, as you go around, apostles, being sent like I was sent, uh, exhibiting the word of God in the person of Jesus Christ, people will or will not respond. Those who respond in faith get a release from their sins. Those who hang on to their sins keep their sins. So I think really Jesus is really only talking about that uh, those two possible outcomes when the apostles of Christ bring the word of Christ into the world. There's two responses. Forgiveness or retention. So when you go about in the world announcing the gospel of Christ, those two responses will occur. People will be forgiven by your ministry or people will retain their sins in spite of your ministry. To me, this is just a, another way of saying what Jesus says when he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And he says to another group, to, well, really to the same group of people, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. 
Because you don't believe, you will die in your sins. You keep yours, they get their, a release from theirs. Now, I wanted to close today by talking about there's, there's three things for us in this text. So far, I've tried to be kind of careful about Jesus is talking to the apostles in the upper room on the night of his resurrection. But these things apply to us by extension. We are part of the body of Christ that Jesus is announcing the formation of in this text. This group that has the mission that is sent as he was sent, that receives the spirit, that, that knows the peace. So, three things for us. Or four. Turns out the three are grounded in the fourth. So anyway, and the fourth is not something you do. Okay, maybe I should just tell you what they are by now. Number one, rejoice in the risen Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was made flesh, lived in perfect, righteous obedience to the living God every second of his whole entire life, offered himself a sacrifice for your sin and mine, and has risen from the grave, demonstrating that that sacrifice is absolutely satisfying to God the Father on your behalf and mine. Plus, he's back. And we can walk in fellowship with the living Christ. Rejoice in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who knows Jesus should be ridiculously happy. Now, I say that, and then I remember... But we're not. And for some very good reasons, by the way. This world is full of trouble. This world will beat you down, and it beats a little harder if you're friends with Jesus. And there is suffering and pain and disease and death in this world, and we are subject to all of those things. People we care about will be lost to us. And those things are real and hard, and we weep with those who weep. But if you know Christ you can celebrate and rejoice even while weeping. And you will look crazy sometimes because you know Jesus, because you see the risen Christ, and you rejoice in the Lord always. Even when I am pained and depressed and under whatever trial or burden, I rejoice 
in the Lord and I see through this thing to that thing that is bigger and wins in the end. Rejoice in the risen Lord Jesus. Number two, walk in peace with God. I don't know if I made this very clear, but Jesus walked in peace with God all the time. That's the book of John. He keeps saying it, right? It almost gets annoying how much he talks about how I never do anything except what I see the Father doing. I never do anything on my own. I'm always living in fellowship with God and out of fellowship with God. It's because he's given me something to do that I do anything. It's because he's given me something to say that I say anything. I walk at all times in perfect fellowship and from my perfect fellowship with the living God in the Spirit of God. That is your opportunity. Walk in fellowship with God. Live your life in reference to God your provider, your forgiver, your savior. You are not alive except that you are united to Christ. And so you walk that way. Walk in fellowship with God. Walk in peace with God. I think of it like this. I have been assured of my place before God in Christ by the Spirit. I have absolute security. My challenge is to just remember that and live from that. To, like we said last week, to accept the fact that I have been accepted by God in Christ. And to live accordingly. The third thing is exhibit the word of God in the world. And I'm using that phrase exhibit or that word exhibit on purpose. Not just talk. Not just talk. But not excluding talk. I exhibit the word of God. I want to inhabit the Word of God. I want the Word of God to inhabit me as I go forward into this world and relate to people and talk to people. This is an imitation of Jesus. That's all he did. He is the Word of God made flesh. We, the body of Christ, the church, are called to Strive for that, that he perfectly exhibits. We're not so good at it, but it's what we can do to inhabit and exhibit the very word of God, to be loving, to be gracious, to be truthful. Jesus, you know, he's the one who somehow... Grace and truth abide together in the person of Jesus. He's honest and gracious. I sometimes think I got to choose. I could be honest or I could be nice. 
speaking the truth in love. That means I always have the motivation when I'm, if I need to correct someone, my motivation is that person's welfare. <sighs> yeah. This is my opportunity to exhibit the word in the world. So those are the three things. Rejoice in the risen Lord Jesus. Walk in peace with God. Exhibit the word of God in the world. What's the fourth thing? Receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of why I'm a little hedgy on this one. But the scripture says, be filled with the Spirit. To Christians, it says that. To the church, it says that. Be filled with the Spirit. And so I would say to you, uh, I mean, you don't need to receive the Holy Spirit like you don't have Him already, but you do give attention to the Spirit. In fact, that's how you walk in peace with God. That's how Jesus did. That's how you do. You submit yourself to the Spirit. You are attentive to the Spirit. You follow the Spirit's lead, and you look to the Spirit for the enablement to walk by faith in Christ, by the Spirit. And so there's a very real sense in which it's in our attentiveness to the Spirit that we rejoice in the risen Lord Jesus. The Spirit is always directing our attention toward Him. It's in a very real sense that we walk in peace with God by attention to the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus did it. The God the Father communicated to God the Son in the person of God the Holy Spirit. And we exhibit the Word of God in the world. How do you do that? How do you have the strength to do that? That will get you punched from time to time. How do you do that in, in your attentive obedience to the Spirit. So those three things from you, peace to you in Christ. Jesus, the risen Savior, says, peace to you. As I was sent, I'm sending you. Receive the Spirit. Exhibit the Word of God. Father, we thank you for your love. <sighs> so easy to say and impossible to get. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with the Spirit. Help us to be receptive and attentive and open. We pray that you would give us the courage to be sent as our Lord was sent to walk with you as he walked with you, to exhibit your word as he exhibited your word. Thank you for the risen Lord. In his name we pray, amen.